Y'all doing all right? Good. It's my privilege to, this afternoon to bring the message out of 2 Timothy 1, 3 through 5. And as I look around the room, we usually see people from Asia, India, Africa, Cuba, Ecuador, Ukraine, Arkansas, Mississippi, and Tennessee here in this little room. And it's no mystery what brings us together, is it? It's that one named Jesus, and that's who we're here to worship today. And so by faith, we are united to Jesus Christ. That makes us his. And being his, this makes all of us that are in Christ brothers and sisters. And so it's always a joy to come and to worship with brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, my uh, topic today will be a thankful heart and uh, genuine faith that should fit our scripture very well. Uh, faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is a shield used to quench the fiery darts of the enemy. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. We'll spend some time on that today. So as we read 2 Timothy, we'll see Paul and Timothy has this, this uh, same bond together, their faith in Jesus Christ, and it brought them together for our good today even. So let me pray again uh, shortly, and then we will read the scriptures, and we will bring the message the Lord has given us today. Well, blessed Holy Spirit, we seek your power, your uh, action among us this afternoon. Lord, those who are without genuine faith, would you persuade them through your word to come to Jesus, to believe in Jesus, to rejoice in Jesus. And Holy Spirit, uh, would you stir up uh, the faithful, those who, who already are in Christ by faith, to a life of gospel conversations, that we could carry the gospel news, the good news, the wonderful news, from generation to generation by speaking the gospel to those around us. We ask you to do this tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's, uh, I, I usually use the New King James, and that's what I'll use tonight. So, church, uh, hear the word of God out of 2 Timothy 1, 3 through 5. Paul's, Paul writing this, of course. I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is also in you, the word of God. May it encourage us tonight. Well, this uh, little thumbnail sketch, it says, I, that's Paul, of course. He says, I thank God, uh, whom I serve with a 
pure conscience as my forefathers did. We will look at that first. But a little thumbnail sketch of Paul, this is about the end of his life when he's writing this letter. Now, he's born Saul of Tarsus uh, of a Hebrew family, so he was a Jew, a whole Jew, and he was a Roman citizen for, for where he was born. And his folks sent him now all the way up to Jerusalem to study under the great rabbi Gamaliel. And this brought Saul to be a zealot for the Jewish law. And uh, his attitude toward Jesus, this one that had been uh, proclaimed and uh, people were believing in, to now he is, his attitude toward him was probably according to Deuteronomy 21, 23, where it said anyone hung on a tree for his sin was accursed of God. Therefore, in his being, Jesus was accursed under the law for he was hung on a cross. And all who followed Jesus were accursed. And so with, a, uh, with the aim to wipe out all of those followers of Jesus, uh, he set out to persecute them. And back then they were called the way. Uh, all those who followed Jesus, the way. Well, he was out after them and uh, he had orders and permits and arrest warrants, or everything he needed as he went down to Damascus to arrest some of these Christians. But we all know the story. On the way to Damascus, he meets the risen Lord. I mean, he gets close to Damascus and a light brighter than these that's shining on me right now come up on him and he like was knocked off his horse and he was groping around and he heard a voice, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul was, I could see it in my own little Walter Meaty mind where he was uh, searching around and looking and he heard that and he says, well, who are you? And the voice came back, Jesus. Jesus. I want you to know what I see here is the dots started connecting when Paul got it. He understood now what had happened. He had met the risen Lord. He didn't factor that into his zeal for the law of God, this risen Lord, but he met him, so he knew him. And uh, right at the the dots started coming together and he saw himself a sinner under the law of God, that he was eternally condemned. He was accursed himself for breaking the law of God. In other words, he saw himself now as a sinner. We all are But Paul saw himself Saul at that time. He became Paul about this time. Uh, but because he said for himself, all these dots coming together, he says, because the sinner, sinless one Jesus died on the cross, he took my curse. He became my substitute. He was dying the death that I would have died. So the zeal for the law of God was replaced by the zeal for Jesus Christ 
and his good news. So with a great zeal, continuing on with his zeal, he didn't change the person, he just changed his direction. Seeing, uh, the, <clears throat> excuse me, seeing the law was completed in Jesus, Paul now spread the true, truth of the wonderful risen Jesus. And because of this, Paul became the persecuted one. This is just a little thumbnail of his, of his life. He became the uh, persecuted one because he followed Jesus. And uh, some of the persecutions, uh, five times he was beaten with 39 stripes, three times of the rod. Once he was stoned and left for dead. And now he's in a Roman prison awaiting execution. There's a life verse that Paul wrote in Philippians for me that fits this. And uh, one of the young ladies in our church, when my wife passed, uh, painted this little verse on a something, canvas, I guess, uh, of Philippians 1.21. And it's been a part of my life uh, ever since then. Uh, and I'll give it to you right now, Paul, but this was Paul's probably. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. That made Paul a winner where he lived or where he died. Under any circumstances, Paul was a winner because he was in Christ. That's very important in your own lives right now. So, Paul was there in that uh, prison uh, cell, that dark dungeon, the way I'm looking at it. Uh, he didn't have lights uh, shining down for him to write with and probably didn't even have a, a desk to sit at uh, and probably didn't have regular meals to eat. And at that time, he was in this uh, dungeon. Probably no visitors. I don't know. But he was writing that letter and he could see Timothy in his mind's eye he could see Timothy and he was writing this letter to Timothy and they had spent many days together in the gospel ministry they had forged a bond that was hard to break and Paul knew Timothy's strength and Paul knew Timothy's weaknesses and Paul knew Timothy's heart about his love for Christ and his fidelity to follow Christ And he knew Timothy's, I'm going to call it this, unpretended faith. Unpretended faith. Genuine faith. We'll bring that out a little bit better in a few moments. But this was his final letter, and it was to Timothy. And he was telling Timothy, uh, fight the fight. Keep the faith. Guard against the false teachers. Spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, suffer well. In other words, Paul was shepherding Timothy on how to walk with the Lord, how to be a true minister of the gospel uh, through these words that he was uh, writing to him. And so uh, Paul is, is like that, writing that letter, and he says this, I thank God. I thank God 
This thanks to God is a thanksgiving that Paul is lifting up to God, even though he's in a dreary dungeon, but he's writing his heart. He's putting his heart on, on uh, whatever they wrote on paper or, or sheepskin. He was putting his heart down there. The Holy Spirit was inspiring him to write this. He says, I thank God. And this thanksgiving that he had to God it is praise to God from a thankful heart. It was one of those Romans 8:28 moments where all things work together for good. Now he's not ashamed of the preaching the wonderful good news of Jesus Christ. And folks, he wasn't complaining as he was writing this under these circumstances he was writing them under. He was thanking God. So <clears throat> He was thanking God that he was uh, not ashamed to preach the wonderful good news of Jesus Christ. I've met men who had, in my years, who had turned to shame. They wouldn't preach the gospel anymore. He was thanking God that <clears throat> not complaining, he was thanking God not complaining about his circumstances that he had suffered for Christ. Well, when he was beaten those five times with 39 stripes, if you didn't know it, 40 times with a stripe was considered a death sentence and the Romans didn't allow the Jewish people to do that so they could hit somebody 39 times, but five times. And what they would do, they would, whoever this group was, they would catch him the, and they would uh, rip the shirt off his back and they would tie his hands to a post and they would start beating him with this whip. And about probably lash number 25, he probably fainted from the pain. And then they kept on beating him. And when they got through, they would cut his hands loose and he would fall down on the ground in the dirt. He was being pain. It'd be days probably before he could move very much at all with the pain in his back. But they done that five times, y'all. And three times they beat with a rod, and I have no wheelhouse for that in my thinking. Uh, I see you hitting somebody once or twice with a rod, and they're done with. But Paul was beaten three times with a rod. And each time he was beaten, uh, those guys were probably leaving, leaving him or saying while he's beating him, so, don't say the name of Jesus again. Don't say Jesus is the Son of God. Don't say that Jesus is the Messiah who was promised to us. They was trying to shut him up. And once he was stoned and left for dead. We have a, an account of that in Acts where they stoned Stephen and old, old Paul happened to be the young man holding the coats, right? But those, when, when they, he started telling about Jesus to these people, they covered their ears. They couldn't stand to hear it and they run at him and they started stoning him with stones. We're talking about stones, rocks, sharp rocks, heavy rocks, real rocks, not no little pebbles. And they stoned him, uh, Stephen, Till he died, didn't he? But they took old Paul out and they done the same thing to him. They stoned him and left him for dead and he probably said, he'll never speak the name of Jesus again. But you know what? 
God raised him up. Where he was dead or not, I don't know. But God raised him up and he went back to work sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is this Paul who's thanking God. And he, he is suffering in his pain and now in prison in this dungeon. He was awaiting execution. But why was he going through all of this? Why was he going through all of this? It's because he had such a love for Christ, for his salvation in Christ, that he could not be stopped from speaking the truth about Jesus Christ. He suffered much more abuse at the hands of his persecutors. But what he wasn't doing, folks, what he wasn't doing, he was not complaining about his circumstances. And I don't think any of our circumstances, because we're Christians, bear up to what Paul had. But Paul was thanking God. He was not complaining about it. So I'm asking you here, uh, have you weighed, or as you weigh out your life's circumstances day by day, whatever your problems and, and t uh, temptations and other problems are, troubles are, uh, have you come to the conclusion like Paul did that Jesus is enough? Is he enough for you in all your circumstances? Is he enough? for you. And if he is, uh, are, you, are you gazing upon him? And are you praising him with a thankful heart? Or, if he's not enough, are you in the divine complaint department with all your little troubles and stuff? He wants you to be full of joy as a Christian. Christ wants you to be full of joy. So Paul's own commentary for his life like this is good for us. And he wrote it in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17. Listen to what he says here. This is Paul's commentary on the life, living a life of faith and suffering for Christ. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So suffer well. Paul did. Paul was thanking God for Jesus being the light to reveal his sin to him. And Paul was thanking God that he was released from his eternal condemnation and he was thanking God for Christ, <clears throat> thanking God for Jesus being his substitute when he died on the cross, his savior, his salvation, his justification. He was thanking God for the love of Christ and he was thanking God for the gift of genuine faith. We have so much to thank him for. Thank him. 
He was thanking him for all his promises that are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. He was thanking him for the peace that he had in the midst of the storms. He was thanking him for the joy when everything around him should be sad. He had joy in the Lord Jesus. He was thanking God for the strength that he had. He was thanking God for the great privilege of preaching the wonderful good news of Jesus Christ. Oh, he had a thankful heart. And he was thanking God for the privilege of suffering. He's writing that now, you see him. I thank God. He's writing it like that. And he's thanking God for the many brothers and sisters that he has in the faith. He's thanking God for faith that has endured to the end that he was fighting the fight of faith. He was running the race. And he's thanking God that he could experience the God who is love that is within him. He was very thankful. But yet he was in this little prison writing this. And he, he has this uh, commentary uh, that I like. I picked it out myself. Romans 8, 38 and 39. Paul's saying this about God and his love and his suffering. I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor death nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. And Paul was writing this letter now this love and this care for Timothy, see it flowing from Paul's heart. That's a heart filled with the love of Christ. Christ lives in the believer. Christ is love. If Christ is in you, love is all up in you. You hear me? Don't shortchange yourself, Christian, about the love of God in you. You must pursue that. And he says, he says, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did. And uh, Paul's God was the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob, excuse me, the God of Moses, David. He was Jehovah. He was Elohim. He was Alive, eternal, holy, self-existence, the creator, he was love, he's sovereign, he's the only true God. This is the God he served with a pure conscience because he knew that he was really God. And good news, believer, he is our God also. Isn't that awesome? The people, uh, everybody in, in, that's ever lived has been religious in some form or fashion, I haven't they? Uh, they have to have some sort of God. So down through the ages, uh, they have made their gods out of wood and stone and metal and other things, but they have gods who cannot speak or gods who cannot hear, or gods who cannot move or create or love because these are false gods. These are pretend gods. But there's only one true God. Paul knew this. He knew what his forefathers knew. And his conscience was pure. 
He was lifting up the name of Jesus. His, his conscience was pure because he knew Jesus as God in the flesh. He knew it. He was pure about it. He wasn't, he wasn't trying to lift up no idol to us. He didn't preach about that. He preached about the one true God, and his name is Jesus, the one who saw. Because <clears throat> Jesus is uh, the visible, earth-walking, truth-revealing God. He's a second person of the Trinity, and he demonstrated God's love by dying on that cross for sinners. Man. Uh, well, I think Paul finished that letter and got down there and old Timothy opened it up and started reading it. And you see Timothy reading the letter Paul wrote him. We'll be looking at that for the next several weeks. But uh, Timothy's reading Paul's letter and he's feeling the love that he has from Paul, and he's remembering their gospel labors together. And he's knowing Paul's goal to shepherd him in the service of his king, Jesus. It's like he could almost hear Paul's conversation with the Heavenly Father as Paul prayed for him. Father, strengthen him. Father, help him to be on guard of the false teachers. And Paul would say, Timothy, I remember your tears at our last parting. Uh, Timothy had a love for Paul. He, he, he cried when they parted the last time. And old Paul said, Timothy, if I could just see you one more time, it would make me full of joy. So that was, that was their heart toward one another. That was their bond. That's what the gospel forged in them. And he said the rest of that verse, the rest of those that verses, he says, uh, Timothy, I am filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your mother and your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Now that word genuine means the real thing, folks. Uh, genuine, unpretended faith. It's a firm persuasion based <clears throat> on hearing the wonderful good news of Jesus Christ to be firmly persuaded. This genuine faith, this unpretended faith comes that way. And it's, it's what we must have. To be persuaded to believe in Jesus as your only deliverer from the curse of the law. And by paying your sin debt himself on the cross, so your, be your substitute, dying the death you should have died. And Jesus is the risen Son of God. This simple gospel, that's why at a place called Grace Church Memphis, uh, the gospel of Jesus is continually preached. That's why. Paul says it like this. Uh, while we preach this gospel, we agree with Paul. In Romans 10, he says, But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed our report? So then, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. 
And we greatly desire to persuade you to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul calls Timothy's a genuine faith, a faith that unites or attaches the believer to Jesus in his life, in his death, in his resurrection. A faith that takes in all the promises that are yes and amen in Christ. Genuine faith, unpretended faith is a growing faith. It starts out like a little mustard seed and it grows to a big plant. It, it keeps growing. You keep feeding it, nurturing it, and it, your faith will grow. Genuine faith will grow. Your genuine faith strengthens you it in, and it endures to the end of this life. This is not a pretended faith, uh, imposter's faith, <clears throat> which this kind of faith that's a pretending faith, pretended faith or imposter's faith, it cannot unite you to Christ. It cannot attach you to the glorious Savior. It cannot grow. It cannot strengthen. It cannot endure because it is not faith. So be on guard. Paul was... Uh, teaching Timothy this. And so we must be on guard. So genuine faith is that unpretended faith. And Jesus Christ is the only object of genuine faith. Uh, now, personally, I've walked with Jesus for 63 years next month. I, I figured it up the other day. For 63 years, next month in August, I've walked with Jesus Christ in genuine faith. Now, <clears throat> when I was in the fourth grade, I was the meanest boy in the school district. Grade school, junior high, high school, I had made it to the top. I couldn't go no higher without going to the uh, reform school. Well, Listen, when I was in the sixth grade, I didn't ask for this, but God sent a young man my age named Robert Dale. He sent him to that school, and at his doing, every day that we could at recess, y'all know what recesses are, some of you don't. That's when you get out of class and play a little bit. But, uh, We'd sit on those school steps and I could still see them and have gospel conversations. He talked about Jesus to me. I didn't have to have faith for him to talk to Jesus about me. I didn't have to have faith to talk to him, but we had gospel conversations. It's all right, young people, to have gospel conversations with someone else about Jesus. That's what the gospel is. Well, uh, after school, you have a few months, back then we did, and started again in September, but in mid-August of that year, uh, we had a little, I lived on a plantation, I was a little farm boy, and uh, <clears throat> had a seed shed that was the chapel on that plantation. Didn't have a regular preacher, of course, but in mid-August, as a preacher came and preached one Sunday morning, and he said, y'all, come back tonight. I want to come back tonight and preach. And that was unusual. And so he came back at night. 
I believed. I believed in Christ that night. I didn't have to walk in a while. He didn't call folks to walk an aisle or pray a prayer. He, t- he told us what the gospel is, and I believed. Now, why should you have gospel conversations? You want your children, you want your fathers, you want your grandfathers, you want strangers, you want people to know who Jesus Christ is and will talk to them. Gospel conversations. I just love that. Well, I was, uh, I didn't get a Bible until I went to college. I had a junior high and high school, I had no Bible. My granddaddy had one, he lived down the road about a mile and a half, but that's what they used when we went to the little chapel, so I couldn't borrow it, you know what I mean? Had no one that would disciple me, so God has blessed this church for people who will disciple you. That's great. And so uh, my faith grew a little bit, and then I seen some Christian man do something he shouldn't have done, so I took my eyes off of Jesus. You know how easy that is to do. It's easy, isn't it? Because you start looking at your own feelings and other things happening. And so my weight, my faith went sort of dormant for about four years. But thanks be to God. Maybe it's longer than four years. I didn't figure that out. But just a few years. And uh, on, a, on a gravel road, on top of a hill in North Arkansas, stopped that truck, got out on the side of that hill, and I surrendered everything to Jesus. I didn't get saved again. I didn't have no lordship change. I just said, Lord, I'm yours lock, stock, and barrel. I'm going to cling to you from now on. And I know some of y'all hear me say that, I'm clinging to Jesus. Well, that's why I'm clinging to him. And for the rest of these years, I've been walking, growing, enjoying, praising, loving Christ more and more and his peoples. So I love you all. Well, conversations about Jesus, you know, you ever had any? Have some, okay? It's good for you, and it's good for those who hear it, because they ain't going to have nothing else but what they hear on that TV and the other things you use. I forget what they are. Well, I said, I got three stories to tell you tonight. I hope you got time to listen to them, but that was one of them. And another one about gospel conversation is in the uh, mid-80s, the, one of the worst prisons in the country. Uh, they'd even made a movie about it. Well, the chaplain there uh, got a hold of some free world men, Christians, and I happened to be one of them. And he said, come, the, the warden will let you in this prison for three whole days. You'll go to their cell blocks. You'll eat with them. You'll talk with them. You'll go out in the yard with them. Whatever they're doing, you can do. That's kind of scary. Them are big old bars when they shut them. Well, I uh, <clears throat> would go into a cell block. There's 2,200 men there, and the little dingy, dirty, white-looking suits they had to wear with little numbers and a name on the back, and had brown brogan shoes. Everybody had the same shoes back in those days. Once they worked out in the field. <clears throat> Well, we would go into the cell block and, and uh, there'd be a hundred men in that cell block and they would lock it up and we'd go around and start talking and pretty soon one of those guys would take the old, uh, there's this laying out there with, with gray blankets on them and they started taking the blankets off 
And their bed was their house, a little cot. Come on, sit down. Come on in the house, he said. And so you do that and you start talking about Jesus and sharing the gospel and, tell, and having conversations with them. And pretty soon there's, there's three, there's five, there's 10, there's 15, there's 20 men around listening. Gospel conversations in the hardest place to have them. So you can have them in your home. You can have them in your school. You can have them in your gymnasium. You can have them at the workplace. But you can have them. Well, this, uh, the second year, <clears throat> one of these young black men got saved. And uh, of course, we had to leave after three days so we couldn't see how he'd done. But the next year, we came and there was a, the, their, their stage was about two foot high in that little chapel that they had. And, uh, we had an early morning chapel service, and uh, it said someone's going to sing a song for us. And these about five or six, seven young black men went up there and got on this little platform and turned around toward us. And there was that young man that got saved. And they sang, folks. Hey, they introduced themselves with a new direction. And uh, they sang Holy Ground. I want to tell you something. They were in a different direction. Last year, they was going pale-mail away from God. This year, they was running to Him, holding their hands up, worshiping Him, clinging to Him, singing holy ground, the new direction. Well, I, I met with that one guy for a few minutes afterwards before we went back into the barracks. <clears throat> he told me that last year when he got saved, he didn't know what to do. He, he went down to his barracks and he said, well, I guess I can pray. And so we started praying, and every day there'd be two, three, four guys come and pray with him. And pretty soon the persecution squad came, and they would beat him up. Don't you be praying no more like that. They would treat him terrible. And one of them, he even showed me, he said, they banged my head against the wall. Don't quit praying, quit praying. But they didn't quit praying. Gospel conversations changes people. They have a new direction in life. I had a new direction. He had a new direction. If you heard the gospel and responded with faith, you've had a new direction. Well, <clears throat> Paul, Paul knew Timothy's grandmother, Lois, and uh, Mother Eunice had genuine faith. He had stated it. And, but it was not given to Timothy by grandmother and mother. Your faith is not passed on just because... Uh, your father or your grandfather was, was a Christian don't mean you are a Christian. God don't have no grandchildren is the best way to put it. He has children. So uh, you have to hear the gospel. And no doubt Timothy heard the gospel from his godly grandmother and mother, and probably Paul. I don't know when Timothy was converted. But he heard the gospel, and his turned out to be genuine faith. And uh, there's no grandchildren. Jesus says you must be born again. Believe in him. What a beautiful invitation to believe in Christ. So you must hear the gospel, folks. You must hear the gospel. Don't get tired of hearing the gospel. Crank your preacher up and say, preach the gospel to us, preacher. Tell us. And when you're in small groups, gospel conversations, uh, it don't matter who won a ball game or whatever else that might be talking about next year, a thousand years from now, it, no, 
I am in Christ Jesus because somebody talked to me about Jesus. And I believed. Well, uh, it's all about hearing the gospel. <clears throat> I won't tell you about the third story because I think our time's about gone. But I ask me sometime and I tell you about my brother right below me. But you must hear the gospel. Uh, so let me tell you the gospel again. I used to have two and three minute conversation, gospel conversations with my brother I was going to tell you about. Uh, he was, I just will tell you, hadn't I? He was, he was, uh, he didn't get saved till he was 33. And I, my wife and I, I knew him all his life, but I started caring for him when he was 10 years old and uh, wanting him to know Christ. And so, uh, he, uh, uh, he was a mule in a cartel out of Texas, and he would, his task was to go down to Mexico, buy a bunch of drugs, usually 100 plus pounds, and cart them back up to Memphis area. That's what he did. And uh, he would, he'd like to eat, he's a big old fella, and so every time I couldn't beat him up and make him quit, could I? I couldn't talk him into quitting, but every time we got a chance, because I loved him, uh, I would feed him and say, Brother, now I got a two-minute presentation of the gospel. You want to listen to it? Oh, yeah. He'd keep on eating, and I'd tell him the gospel. I'd done it again and again and again, and when he was 33 years old, he received Christ with his genuine faith. And I was, I'm disappointed discipling him now. He just retired at 65, and uh, we're going through the Gospel of John, and boy, he's so excited about Jesus, and uh, he's, he's always been that way, but he is uh, more so now. So praise the Lord, Gospel conversations, are you going to have them with your family? You just don't tell somebody. You talk with them. You tell somebody, they'd they be off of you under somewhere in their mind, right? You've done that plenty of times. Talk to them face to face. Uh, young to old, old to young, it doesn't matter. So I'm gonna give you a two minute or a minute rendition thereabouts of the gospel of Jesus Christ because I want you to hear the gospel. I want you to come with a genuine faith, unpretended faith, faith you can stand up with and walk through the the valley of darkness or through the fire or through persecution or through anybody talking bad about you. I've been there. <clears throat> so, if I can find my place. Here it is. Well, folks, here's the gospel. In love, God gave his law to teach us that we are sinners in his sight. Thus, under eternal condemnation to pay our own sin debt. But in love, God sent the treasure of heaven, Jesus, to demonstrate his love for us, the sinners. And Jesus, living a sinless life, he did not sin one time. That ought to impress you. He didn't steal a biscuit. He didn't tell a lie. He didn't mistreat his uh, brothers 
half-brothers. He didn't disobey his mama. He didn't cheat nobody. Not one time. And if we was writing down the sins we done today, it'd take us, we'd probably be here tomorrow night writing them down, wouldn't we? But listen, he did not sin one time. So when he went to the cross as our substitute, he was a spotless lamb. He carried our sin in his own body when he was nailed to that cross. And there once for all time, he died for us sinners. He paid our sin debt. He is our sacrifice. Jesus is our substitute. Jesus is our salvation. He is the object of our faith, this person named Jesus. He was buried, and on the third day, he was raised to victory over death, hell, and Satan. This risen Jesus is our only, <clears throat> excuse me, object of our faith. He ascended into the heavens, y'all, as the king of glory. And he's the great high priest of heaven right now. And he is the only, uh, I, I initialed this and I can't read it very well, but uh, the object of our faith, the only object of our faith is Jesus is. So you have something to put your faith into, something to put your faith on, some, someone you can meet with and talk with and love on and be, be loved by him. And one day he's coming again to take all who have been persuaded, firmly persuaded to believe in him. He's taking us home to heaven. And you cannot buy genuine faith. You cannot earn genuine faith. It is a Holy Spirit gift that comes by hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, I'll finish there then. So what's our application about this, these verses tonight? Here's a good one. You can daily have conversations with Jesus in his word. Now you have to be pretty close to him to have a conversation, so meet him. Don't just pick up the book and read something and say, well, that's it. You pick it up and you meet Jesus there and you talk to him, let him talk to you. You talk about it. It's a conversation, there's two ways. You'll find the joy and the peace in that. <clears throat> and you preach the gospel to yourself every day. Then you have gospel conversations with others. Faith comes by hearing. And make it your aim, people. Make it your aim to be well-pleasing to the Lord. Aim to be well-pleasing to Him. And the number one way to be well-pleasing is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. That's it. That's the application. Uh, so let me pray and then we'll be through. Oh Lord, Holy Spirit, we thank you. We t would you take these words spoken and penetrate each heart here and you know how to apply your love and your conviction and your glory of Jesus to each heart. Do it for your name's sake.
In Jesus' name we pray, amen.